Good. The, uh, what I want to talk about tonight was perseverance, and so hopefully the lesson won't be persevering through listening to me talk. Um, hopefully it'll be a message from God, so let's pray on that note. Father, we just thank you for this time to come together and to worship you, Lord, in this place, to, to seek you with our brothers and sisters. We just pray, Lord, that we would hear from you tonight, Lord, and that we would become more like you, and that we would... Um, just be filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so perseverance, what does the word mean? Uh, I looked it up in the dictionary. Uh, one of the ones definitions I found was steady persistence in a course of action. Um, many things in life are accomplished due to feelings, right? We feel like eating, so we eat, or we feel like sleeping, so we sleep. We feel like going to see a friend or going to church, so we do those things, right? Because we feel like it. But there's lots of things in life we do because we need to or because we know it's the right thing to do, right? And the, one of the first things that came to my mind lately is, um, you know, who enjoys with a merry heart disciplining a four-year-old, right? Um, and I don't know, that's what Stacy and I are going through now. It's not always that fun, but love requires us to do that, and we want to do it because we know it's what's best, right? So... You know, I believe with everything in me that love has shown more in my discipline for my daughter than me ignoring what she's doing. Um, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of perseverance in life um, and in perseverance in our love for God, because often it takes us to persevere when things are hard. Um, false messages from liars, um, the lies of the world and the lies of our flesh, um, sin in our lives make our walk with Christ harder. Um, John is writing in this book um, to the believers, encouraging them to abide in Christ and to live for Him. Perseverance is an action we take regardless of our circumstances. You only persevere on a course because you truly, truly believe that's what you need to be doing. And you truly believe it is the correct way. Um, often in life we try something new, um, but it's a fad because we don't persist. You know, we might, even if it's something that we know is right, we just don't stick with it. Um, and God wants all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants us to press into Him, to trust Him, and believe in Him fully. Um, as I studied First John, that's what God was speaking to me, was to persist in my walk with Him. Um, you know, a lot of you guys know some of the things that we've gone on in the last couple months with Stacy and I. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's been a really dry time for me spiritually. Um, you know, there's been a lot of strong emotion and heartache and stuff as Stacy was in the hospital and we thought it was just going to be a few days and ended up being a couple weeks. And even though we knew, you know, that it wasn't life-threatening or anything, we knew things were going to be okay, but it was hard, you know, it was, we wanted it to be over. Um, it was hard. I felt incomplete being away from our daughter. She was staying a few hours away. Um, we were just, at least I was just weary for that same old thing, weary for wanting it to be over and for her to be better again. Um, and, you know, most would think that would be time of this amazing growth with the Lord, and I was being revealed all these amazing things. And, you know, I, I wish it was like that, but it, it really wasn't for me. Um, I mean, I, I definitely saw God's hand in his faithfulness, restoring her back to health and feeling the love of the body. And your guys' prayers was amazing. But, again, it was a little bit quiet for me from what I had hoped it would be in the Lord, but 
through it all, what I kind of got out of that too was that God is teaching me to persevere. Um, the most viv- vivid thing I remember in terms of God speaking to me during that time was I was staying in a, a little RV. They have an RV park there at the hospital. And it was about maybe a quarter mile up to her room or something. And so every day, you know, multiple times a day, I'd walk that same little trail from the RV up to the room. And you know, I didn't notice it till maybe the 10th or 12th day, but I just felt tired of the same old thing, right? Because I wasn't having the normal routine of life and, you know, you walk up there and then you sit in the hospital, right? You just sit there. <laughs> and which, you know, why did I do that? Because I love my wife and love gave me no other option. And I, I don't say that looking for some sort of accolades like I'm so great because I did that. Because you guys would do the same thing for people you love, you know. But what it says and what I learned was that love is shown in our actions and our thoughts. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't an option like, well, I guess I could go you know, sightsee and do some hiking while she's in the hospital, but, you know, that'd be ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. Love wouldn't let you do that. That was my only option to go do that same, walk that same path and to go sit by her side while God brought her back to health. And that's just a small picture of what I want my love for God to be like. You know, I don't always feel like doing the things I know I need to do, but there's a time when God is calling us to do those things anyway to put one foot in front of the other and do it anyway. Um, because that is how love is shown. And when just the same that love gave me no option with my wife, I think when we truly love God, it's just what we do. It's not, it's not about trying to earn something or earn God's favor. That's just what we do in love. So we'll start in verse 15, First uh, John, John chapter 2. It says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. And how timely this, this passage is with the Christmas season. Um, you know, we see all the stuff decorated in the stores and all the, all the ads on TV for all the stuff going on, and everything appeals to our flesh and our eyes and all the new stuff that we want. You know, there's new TVs and new cars and new Xboxes and new Wiis and new iPhones and new food coming out, and then they give you new pants for all the new food that you eat. And, and right in the middle of all that, it's a time that should be focused on the most world-changing birth the planet has ever seen. We have, you know, one-day sales, one-item sales, one-day sales that last three days. Have you guys seen that? Holiday sales, because you can't say Christmas anymore. It's not politically correct. And in the middle of all that, God is, I feel like, shouting, I sent my only son to die for you, you know. And the world just doesn't get it. The world is passing away. You know, it's fine to go out and buy some presents enjoy giving gifts to others, but we need to remember this world is passing away. All that stuff in eternity is going to matter zero, you know, and there's such a big deal about that's, I, I don't know, at least I feel like I'm just constantly seeing all of that stuff, but it's not going to last. You know, verse 17 says, the one who does the will of God abides forever. And what is his will? That we love one another. Um, it won't always be easy. 
but it's worth it. You know, the love that we show each other and the love that we show the world and the lost has eternal weight. You know, we forget that, you know, we can give each other physical, tangible things, and that's great, and that's a great show of our love, but showing love and, and caring for someone and encouraging them in the Lord, that has eternal weight. You know, that's going to change them forever. Um, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit can change the eternal destiny of a human soul. You know, how much more is that worth focusing on than all the stuff we see around us? So we'll go, on, go on in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. You know, the things going on around us shouldn't surprise us. Um, we can plainly see from God's word that it is the last hour. You know, things are moving that way. And we continue to see things being fulfilled from the scripture that tell us it's the last hour. Um, is it the first half of the hour, the last half of the hour? You know, we don't know that. Um, but we know our hearts need to be turned to him to do his will. Um, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were really, they, not, they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not all of us. So you might think Antichrist coming out from us. You know, that sounds, I don't know, to me that sounds surprising at first. But we have to remember that Antichrist, the Antichrist, or a picture of an Antichrist, you know, it's like the devil. It's not going to be walking around with red horns and a pitchfork. And, you know, it's going to be like, oh, that's an Antichrist, you know. You know, the devil uses things that look close to the real thing to deceive us. Um, but the message is not going to be the same. Um, 1 John 4.2 4, 2 tells us that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So, I mean, is it as simple as that? Does that mean if they say they believe in Jesus that they're believing in the true God? You know, if, they don't, if they're not carrying a pitchfork around, are we saying, oh, they said Jesus, they must be a Christian? Um, it's, it is that simple, but it's not that simple. You know, a deeper look plainly tells us whether someone is pressing into Jesus or not. You know, as Jackie's been talking about, are they preaching a message of, are we being saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus? Or... Are they adding other things to it? Is it Jesus and something else? Um, so that can be hard. You know, how do we know the difference of what, what the message is? Look at verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Um, that anointing that we have from the Holy Spirit gives us knowledge and gives us wisdom. Um, the word anointing here uh, in the Greek is it's the same word that they use for the application of the oils and herbs that was put on a priest when they were being ushered into priestly service. Um, and I think that's a great picture, you know, and I, just to be extreme, I kind of imagine, you know, being covered in, say, mo motor oil. You know, we don't really anoint with oil like they did in those days, but, you know, you can imagine motor oil from head to toe, right? I mean, it's, you're stinky, and it's, it's on you, and it's all of you, and it's everything, and you know, the picture is the same, except that anointing is a sweet-smelling oil and it's sweet-smelling herbs. You know, the covering and the anointing, it's a constant presence, a constant smell, and a constant feel we have on us. And that's the picture of what God wants His Spirit to be for us. He wants us to be continually leading us and guiding us in a continual presence that we're aware of. Let's go on to verse 21. <clears throat> I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth, 
Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. John isn't writing this letter to non-believers, but to those who know him. Um, he's reminding us that we can tell who the followers of Christ are by looking at their lives, and more importantly, looking at our lives to see if we're following Christ. Um, like it says in chapter 4, the liar is the one who denies Jesus is the Christ. So, again, does that mean they'll come shouting in the streets, Jesus is not the Christ, and it's that simple? Um, some people might do that, but isn't it the same thing if someone says you have to believe Jesus and pray this certain way, or go to church this certain day, or aren't they essentially saying Jesus is not the Christ? They're saying it's Jesus and this other stuff. So, I mean, it's when we look at the message, we can see what someone is teaching. Um, you know, if they're saying it's Jesus in my works, or if it's Jesus, if it's anything except Jesus alone, it's the same thing as saying Jesus is not the Christ. Verse 23, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Um, it is that simple. If we confess Jesus and agree with the work on the cross and that that work saves us, we're in God's family. If we don't confess Jesus as the one and only Savior, we're not in God's family. Our flesh wants to make things complicated sometimes, but Jesus has spelled it out. You know, it's confessing Him and believing in Him and Him alone, not Him and something else. So verse 24, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. So what was the message they heard from the beginning? Uh, in chapter 3, we'll get to it a little later tonight, but uh, verse 11 tells us the message they heard from the beginning is that we should love one another. Well, we also know the core message of what they heard from the beginning was the same message that they taught in the book of Acts to non-believers. And it's the same good news that we preach today. The good news that Jesus died for all the world and that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and sin for us. And in him, we have the power to live life. No longer does God see our old sinful nature, but now he sees Christ in us. You know, it's really easy to get caught up in foolish things in life, um, even in the church. You know, some things matter a little bit, and they're a little bit important, and some things are totally not important. You know, it, it doesn't matter what color we have the carpet or what color we paint the building. I mean, the building does look great, by the way, but um, what matters is abiding in the basics of the original message that we heard and the original message that brought us to Christ. Um, that's the stuff that keeps us grounded. So turn in your Bibles to John 15. Verse 5, I'm going to read verse 5, and then I'll read 11 to 17. It says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then 11, he continues saying, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is the commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is this I command you, that you love one another. You know, abiding in Christ is where we get the nutrients for that perseverance. Um, the branch cannot have fruit without the vine. It's just a dead branch without the vine. John is teaching us these things, the same reason that Jesus was teaching the apostles those things, is that our joy may be full. Um, God knows that true joy is only found living the way we were designed to live, loving God and loving others. So back to 1 John chapter 2, 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. John is writing the recipients of this letter so that they would not be deceived by false teachers. And the word is the same for us today. Any message that adds to the gospel, that tries to add to the work that Jesus did, is a false teaching. Um, how do we know which one is which? God promised us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If someone comes and says, you need to listen to me instead, I have a new revelation, and, it, and it's going to clear up what everything says. You know, we need to, that should set off a lot of red flags in our mind if someone says something like that. Messages that are truly from God will easily and clearly line up with his word, with, with his people, and with the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, if, if there's anything else going on, we really need to be thinking about what someone's saying. You know, we don't need a new revelation or a new message for us to connect with God. We need to abide in the basics and the things that we've already heard and learned that are in his word and that his spirit's teaching us. Um, and he tells them again, abide. Abide in the teaching of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit isn't some mysterious vapor in the wind, but it's part of the triune God that we need to pay attention to and abide in. Um, when the Spirit teaches us, we need to abide in that. You know, if we have a leading that we feel and we are confidence from the Spirit, we need to let that dwell in us and sink in. You know, that's God speaking to us personally. Um, you know, he says, abide, let that abide in you. You know, don't, don't just, you know, let it be like the dumb thing you saw on the TV or whatever. Abide, let it abide in you. Dwell on it. Think about it throughout the day. Um, remember, the picture of abiding that Christ gave in John chapter 6 was that of food. You know, he said, eat of my flesh. Um, you know, eating, that is something that fully comes part of you. And, you know, it's a good food. You know, it's something that we need to dwell on. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, when we have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. So how many times does he need to say it? And he keeps saying it, abide in him, abide in him, abide in the teaching of the Spirit. Um, you know, what an exciting day he talks about that, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrinking away and not shrink away at his coming. You know, he's talking about the, the second coming of Christ. And, you know, that should be our heart's desire that, you know, and a good reminder that someday we will look up in the clouds and we will see Jesus coming back. 
Now, where do we want to be when that day comes? Do we want to be confident, saying, I know I'm where I need to be right now, and I know that I've been obedient to the call that God has given me? Or do we want to be fearful, saying, this is going to be bad, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, and he's telling them here, abide in Christ, and that gives us the confidence that when that day comes and we see him in the clouds, we can be confident in his coming, and we can be confident that he has finished the work, and he has done the work in us. You know, that's, I want to be able to stand firm in that day and give him glory for what he's done. Um, Verse 29, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. The King James, I think, translates that verse a little better. Instead of practice, you know, saying the word practice makes me think that we have a part in the righteousness or that me practicing that work gives me some sort of accomplishment and I have a little bit of earning. And that's not really what he's saying. The King James says, everyone that doeth righteousness is righteous. Um, When we're born of him, that's just what we do. You know, the same thing that my love for my wife was shown by me just walking to the hospital. It wasn't a question. Um, Living a life for God means we don't live a life to the flesh, but a life that is led by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, and the, the message isn't totally lost in the word practice, you know, that I, I think we can learn from that perseverance of practicing something, because we practice because we want to be better at it. Um, we need to do that righteousness. We need to persevere when our feelings don't match what we know the truth is and what we know we need to do in our lives. Um, you know, what's the root of our drive to persevere? It can only be love. You know, if, we, if we're doing it for any other reason, for selfishness or for to think that we're gaining or earning our way for anything in Christ it's the wrong reason you know if it's in love then that's what what God is after I saw a great quote a couple weeks ago from Charles Spurgeon Uh, it says the grace that does not change my life cannot save my soul I'll read it again the grace that does not change my life cannot save my soul you know it's our love for God and our response to his grace that gives us the drive to live for him, the same way that my love for my wife gave me the drive to walk in a seer. Um, a full and intimate knowledge of God's grace leads us to love him and to show our love for him. It makes doing the little things for him and the big things for him natural. It's just what we do. It's, you know, you, we all, the, those of us who work, you go to work, it just seems natural because it's what you do. You know you need to do that to make ends meet. Um, it becomes our only choice when we have that understanding of God's grace in our lives. So chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. You know, isn't it amazing that not only God did God forgive us, but that He called us His children? Um, he gave the life of His only Son so that sin could be repaired in our lives. But then he also wants us to be part of his family. Um, as many of you know, Stacy and I are eagerly awaiting the adoption of our second daughter. And it was the same with our first daughter when she was adopted. And as we kind of experienced with Abe and Willow as a church family, as they adopted Petros, um, God is eagerly awaiting for the adoption of his family. Um, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we shall be. 
We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. We're God's children now, but we don't know exactly what it's going to be like in heaven. We don't know what it's going to be like to be with him. Uh, I think it's kind of like the same way it was with uh, Abe and Willow for an example of um, an earthly thing for this. You know, there was a period of time when Petros was their son. He had been promised to them and all the paperwork and all that stuff was worked out. Um, but Petros was still in Africa and Abe and Willow were still in Idaho. And I'm sure Petros had some uh, anticipation of what that was going to be like. And I'm sure Abe and Willow and their family did too. They didn't know what it was going to be like. You know, they didn't know what that day was going to look like. But after a short time, they were united together as a family. Um, and in the same way, remember, we remember it's the last hour, and soon we will be reunited with Christ. Um, and how great a time that'll be. You know, we'll see him as he truly is. You know, we just, I think we have little glimpses of, of Jesus on earth compared to the fullness that we'll see Jesus and God in heaven. You know, what an amazing thing that'll be. <clears throat> verse 3 and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has seen him or knows him the word purify here in verse 3 speaks of the purification, um, same word that they used in the purification that a Nazarite would take during their vow. You know, and they had all these things that they would do, um, not shaving, and, um, you know, there's a long list of things they would do. And it was a time that they would set themselves apart for God. And we, in, in the same way, purify ourselves for the anticipation of His coming. Um, it doesn't make us clean. You know, John has already told us that we're already pure. You know, we were purified by the blood of Christ and his finished work on the cross. But he's speaking here of that purification, getting ready for that day when Christ returns. Um, Hebrews 10 tells us that we have God's law written on our hearts. Um, so as it speaks about here, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know, how could a man who has God's law written on his heart practice lawlessness? Jesus came to take sin and lawlessness away. He came to free us from the bondage of sin, to free us from lives given to lawlessness. When we abide in him, we will not sin. So does that mean that if we sin, you know, if we leave here and we sin that we don't know him? I think the NIV translates um, this passage well. The NIV puts it, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. The natural reaction to God's love for us is shown we, when we repent, when we turn away from a life that is characterized by sin. Verse 7, <clears throat> Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. John gives us a caution here. Make sure no one deceives you. The world is full of people 
uh, who want to minimize the power of sin, who say, oh, it's just a little sin, it's just a white lie, you know, it won't hurt anybody, it, it might even help somebody because they don't have to face the truth. But John says it again here, the one who doeth righteousness is righteous. When we hear the voice of a deceiver, the voice of our flesh, who do we listen to? Are we deceived by the lies that we hear? Or do we listen to God and His Spirit speaking to us? He tells us in verse 8 that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, and we have a new voice leading us now. Those, those old works are destroyed, and we have the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide us. Verse 9, the one who is born of God, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When we come to know Jesus, he changes us. The old things pass away, and new things come. We're on a new road. We have a new direction. You know, it's a new life. Um, John says it very plain there in 1 John. When we're born again, we're a new creature, a new creation, just as we saw in Corinthians. We don't practice sin, is what John is saying. Um, and again, that's not us doing the work, as it said. It's the seed of God in us. Um, we have a new nature, and we don't have to listen to the lies of the flesh anymore, the lies of the old man. You might have heard the song that says, Life is not a snapshot. Um, you know, life isn't about what did you do a moment ago or what are you doing right now? It's where are you going? You know, that's why it's called a walk with Christ. And life is a walk, whether you're walking with Christ or whether you're walking against him, but it's all a direction. You know, and that's the question tonight. What is the direction that you're going on? Is our heart's desire to serve God and to please him? Or are we debating in our mind, I could probably get away with this and this would be okay and God will forgive me, you know. And those are lies of the old man and things that we don't need in our life. Um, you know, where are we going? Where's the road that we're on leading us? Verse 11, For this message which you have heard from the beginning, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So the message again is love. Love for God and for each other is the gas in our motors, you might say. It's the power for our perseverance. Our love for the lost and for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for our families, it's the natural appearance of God in our lives. Um, you know, I'm not up here to tell you that practicing righteousness is easy because, you know, like I said, it's about persevering. Um, but 
what I am saying is that loving God and just barely touching the magnitude of his grace and understanding his grace in our lives will drive us to please God. You know, the same that love for your spouse or a friend drives you. It's just naturally what you do. Um, so I wanted to end tonight, since this is very short, <laughs> uh, in Genesis chapter 4. Um, we had a good discussion in our men's Bible study. We're studying First John right now about Cain and Abel. And you know, we talked a lot about you know, why was Cain's offering um, unacceptable, or did I say, yeah, why was Cain's offering unacceptable and Abel's acceptable? Um, so I want to read that story here real quick, part of it. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Hebrews 11.4 tells us that Abel's offering was from faith. Um, it doesn't tell us a lot about what Cain's offering was about, but, you know, I think we can derive from that, you know, whether, what was going on in, in his life, we don't know, but we know that his offering was not in faith. Um, so it goes on in verse six says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its, desire, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. One of the things we, really, we talked about quite a bit in the Bible study was verse 7, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Must master it. Cain had a chance there to turn back to God, even though his his offering wasn't acceptable to God. God said to him, "If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up?" You know, He gave him a chance to turn the right way, um, and that's the good news: is that God is always ready to meet us right where we're at. Um, if we're abiding in Christ, keep it up. Keep pressing into Him. And drinking deeper and deeper in his love. But as the message it says here, if it is not, if you are not abiding in Christ, sin is crouching at the door. But God is saying here, you don't have to choose sin. Regardless of how we feel, we can turn to him and he will lift us up. You know, he will give us the power to live a life that is pleasing to him through the blood of Jesus. He gives us the power to persevere in the love for the saints. So we're going to get out a little early tonight, get you guys home. So let's pray, and then I think Fritz is going to come up with another song. Father, we just thank you for this time, even though it's short, Lord. We just thank you for time to be in your word and to, to hear from you. And I just pray that each of us here tonight did hear from you, Lord, that, that we were encouraged and uh, that we can grow in you, that we will learn how to abide in you and that we will learn what it means to love our brothers and sisters and um, have a love for the lost Lord we just pray for for that Lord that, that we would have a love for the lost to reach out to them to to tell them your truth 
We just thank you for your grace and for your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll stand.
Teach us how to love as you loved, Lord. Lord, teach us to serve as you serve, Lord. May we demonstrate this love as we reach out into our community this Christmas, Lord. May we demonstrate, Lord, that we have been with you. Lord, may we show love in, in the way we reach out to the homeless, Lord, to the hungry, to the orphans, to the widows, Lord. Lord, help us to be friends to the friendless, Lord. Lord, uh, help us to be a light where there ceases to be light. Lord, we can only do that by your spirit, Lord. We can only do that if you help us, Lord, if you lead us, and Lord, if we abide in you. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.